Thanks. It's great to be here with you. I'm so glad that you've had me, uh, that Luke asked me to be here. Uh, Let's pray together before we um, get into our text. Lord, we give you thanks for your goodness to us. Thank you that you give us uh, abundantly uh, more than we could ever uh, deserve. And and even in ways that we're not asking, you're just good to us. So we pray that you would remind us of that this morning by your Holy Spirit. May you take these words written on this page um, in our scriptures, this word you preserve for us. And may you make it effective for for leading us into righteousness, uh, mostly leading us to know Jesus uh, more deeply. So bring it to you, Lord, and we uh, pray that you would meet us in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you know that God wants to change the way that you relate to everything in your life? You know that he wants to change how you approach it, how you uh, come to value those things and, uh, and, and change the way that we look at things naturally. Until we understand this, we'll usually have a, a, a really dysfunctional relationship with the things in our lives, with the people in our lives, and in some ways in our, in our relationship with God. That dysfunction extends out to your most valuable resources. The things that you most hold dear, um, that dysfunction extends to that. Your time, your energy, your money, your homes, your family, etc. This dysfunction is is prevalent. If we look at our hearts, we can understand this uh, to a certain point. But how do we change? And that's what I want to look at today. We see this dysfunction. We see the way that we look at things to give us value and meaning and hope uh, in ways that they can't, right? Um, But how do we change? Well, when we begin to see, this is our main idea this morning, when we begin to see that everything we have is a gift, especially the grace we have in the person and work of Jesus Christ, only then will we be able to find the motivation, the power for living radically gracious and generous lives, counterintuitive lives. For the character in our story, that's what we want to explore is why in the world does Zacchaeus respond this way? And, and if you've ever been in Sunday, or in Sunday school, in children's ministry, I won't sing the song for you. It's probably the only thing you think of when you hear Zacchaeus' name. I won't sing it, but I guarantee you it's stuck in your head right now, though. What we want to look at is why this response that he makes is so radical and what leads to this response that he makes toward Jesus. We'll look at two things together this morning, a radical encounter between a gracious Savior and a radically desperate sinner. And then we'll look at this radical response. So first, let's look at this radical encounter. In verse 1, we're introduced to the place where they were in, Jericho. It's different than the Old Testament city. Uh, Herod got it from, from, uh, uh, from Caesar, and he it transformed it into it took palace and aqueducts, all kinds of stuff. There was an uh, abundance of water there for agriculture. It meant that it was, a, it was a, a city. It was a great place to be, place of commerce. Well, if it's a place of commerce, you know where the money is. You know where the tax collectors go, right? They come to take, take part of whatever it is that's being gained there to give back to the government. It, was a, it had a tropical climate. It was great, a great place for somebody to thrive. And a guy like Zacchaeus had great job security in a place like this. It was a major city, a place of great commerce. And so we're introduced to him in verses 2 through 4 in chapter 19. It says, uh, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran up on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see Jesus for he was about to pass that way. You know that this is the only reference to chief tax collector in the entire New Testament. 
It's debated about what it means, but it could mean two things. Uh, one of two things. One is that uh, he was a head tax collector, maybe of an area of the city, um, or that he was good at his job. And of all the tax collectors, this guy was one of the worst ones, or best, depending on who you are. For Zacchaeus, he probably thought of himself as one of the best. He was good at his job. He was a sinner. He was one of the worst of the tax collectors, and he knew it. He knew he was a sinner, and everyone around him wanted him to know it too. Everyone around him. Zacchaeus had used his, pla- his position to secure a place uh, in society uh, in, the, in the upper class in his day. You see, the text is intentional at this point. It says that he's a tax collector, the chief of them, and he's very rich. It's, uh, they're not, they're not, uh, um, uh, they're being, Luke is being really clear as he's telling us about this guy Zacchaeus. What's interesting is that he can't get to Jesus, but what Jesus does is astounding. He sees this grown man climbed up into a tree, um, and he saw that Zacchaeus lowered himself to a point where he didn't care about uh, his own dignity. He didn't value himself too much. He just moved into a tree. You know that climbing up a tree is beneath the dignity of a man, especially in the ancient Near East. He just wouldn't do that. And even today, if you see somebody climbing in a tree, a grown person, you probably think they're a little strange. Any of you dads with kids have climbed trees? My son JJ was climbing a tree in our front yard. He loves to climb. And I decided, I was like, you know what? I can still get up this, get up this thing. So I climbed up with him. And when I was up there, I realized how ridiculous I looked. It's not a very large tree, but I'm like looking around to see if my neighbor's outside looking at me. Um, I, it's just embarrassing. But I stayed up there with him. It was fun. Climbing trees is fun. But Zacchaeus at this time, shouldn't have climbed a tree. It was, a, uh, it was breaking social rules. It was not okay for a grown man in its time to climb trees. It was beneath the dignity of a, of a man. But Zacchaeus had no choice. He had been walled out by the people. Not only was he short, uh, Tim Keller says that not only was he short, it was that they, people wouldn't let him in. They probably, as, he, as their crowd is gathering to see Jesus, they think it's a kid because he's so short, but he comes in and they don't let him in. They see it's Zacchaeus. If it's a kid, let the kid through maybe. But Zacchaeus, no, not that guy. Can't let him be seen next to me. Can't let him through here to gain a place to see Jesus. No way. No one will let him into their social gathering. Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus and he put himself in a position of desperation, because he's desperate, into, into a tree to find this one Jesus who was so attractive. He put himself in a position to be ridiculed, to be made fun of, just to catch a glimpse of Jesus. It's such a great moment of humility, I think, in Zacchaeus, who just, uh, just wants to know, I just need to see this guy that everyone's talking about. What's infinitely more important about this passage is that it's not Zacchaeus who comes to Jesus because he couldn't. And would he have even come and talked to Jesus if he had the opportunity? I I, I mean, I don't think he he would have. But what's interesting is that Jesus saw the links he went to to even catch a glimpse of him. But it says that when Jesus saw that, he moved toward him. When Jesus came to the place, in verse 5, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. You see that Jesus moved toward him. The beautiful thing about this passage is that Jesus moved toward him. He saw the links he went to, but Jesus knew that in order for this encounter to happen, this divine encounter to happen, he would have to move towards Zacchaeus. 
Not only that, to go and dine with him. Jesus knew that there was a divine encounter that needed to happen. And he would go through great lengths to, to make this happen. He did this so that the people that Zacchaeus could benefit, the disciples that were there, the crowd, the religious among them, that they would, uh, that they would come to see this gracious move that Jesus would, would make. He says, I'm going to come into your house. You're going you're to host me. Jesus makes his way to Zacchaeus. God was calling Zacchaeus to faith, and this is important to note because if Jesus hadn't actually moved towards Zacchaeus here, I don't know if Zacchaeus would have actually gone, gone to Jesus. It's important to, to, to think about that. And Jesus is doing that out of divine necessity because in chapter 18, he's just said, with God, all things are possible, but it is almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible a rich young ruler had just come to Jesus and told him, what must I do? He asked him, what must I do to be saved? Jesus tells him, give everything you have away, sell it, give it away and come and follow me. He doesn't do it. He goes away sad because he was rich. Jesus says it's, it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In chapter 19, we see a rich man entering the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is flipping us and showing us there is a divine necessity that needs to happen here. And, and, and this is the way it's going to happen. All Jesus does is makes this small gesture of going to eat with Zacchaeus, who is a truly sinful man. Jesus was giving him his very presence, his very presence. Holiness was about to come and meet with him. So in verse six, we see Zacchaeus come down. He does exactly what Jesus says. He hurries down, he jumps out of the tree, and he runs to Jesus. Absolutely, I'll entertain you. I'll feed you. Uh, he offers, he accepts his legitimate offer that Jesus makes toward him. And I like to think of this as well. I think there's a connection here in chapter 18 is that Jesus says that for the one who's going to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, they need to come like a child. Zacchaeus almost seems like a, a man child. <laughs> He doesn't care. He's not thinking about anything else. He just sees Jesus and he's so enamored with him that he climbs up a tree. And then when Jesus talks to him, he comes down out of the tree and says, yes, I will go and I will host you. Absolutely. In verse seven, when they saw it, they all grumbled. It's the crowd, the people that were there. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus would never have invited Jesus into his home because you know what? Zacchaeus probably didn't think that he deserved for Jesus to come into his home. Zacchaeus probably would never have invited him. He probably thought, Jesus, you would never want to come and dine with me. All the religious people of the day would never think of such a thing. It wouldn't let him into a small social gathering. They would not go to his house to dine with him. I think at this point, his mom probably wouldn't go and eat with him for fear of what it would mean to be associating with her, with her crazy son who was a traitor. He was a traitor. He was stealing money from the, taking money from the Israelites to give the Roman oppressors. And then on top of that, the reason why he was rich is because he was taking more for himself. They were looked at as thieves because they were taking more money for themselves. And he was rich, and so that means he was taking more than he should have. This small action... That Jesus makes toward him. The small action of dining with him changes him. It's a huge gesture. Zacchaeus put himself in a position to be ridiculed. Do you know that's the exact same thing that Jesus does to an even greater degree? He puts himself in a position to be challenged, to be questioned, to be ridiculed by this grumbling crowd who thinks, what are you doing? 
We know you're a holy man. We know you're a good teacher. We know all this. But what are you doing? Holy people don't associate with guys like this. They don't associate with guys like Zacchaeus. This is a radical encounter. What Jesus is doing is radical. No one would love Zacchaeus. No one would dine with him. And Jesus says, I want to dine with you. And I'm willing to take the grumbling crowd, the criticism, the challenge, so that I can meet with you. There's an appointment set. And I'm going to move toward you and love Zacchaeus. You know what's awesome is that this, what this really exposes is the false religion within the crowd, right? Somehow we get it twisted, right? We think that there's an entry fee that somebody has to pay to earn our love. There's an entry fee for us to pay to be, for somebody to pay for us to be in relationship with him, with them. John Calvin says that the human heart has so many crannies where vanity hides, so many holes where falsehood lurks. It's so decked out with deceiving hypocrisy that it often dupes itself. What's exposed in this religious crowd is that it's false religion. When they see Jesus's actions, they were deeply offended by Jesus, deeply offended by the gesture of moving toward a sinful man. How dare they? There's no way they would do that. And if Jesus were in his right mind, he wouldn't do it either. You know what's awesome, though, is is when I think about these religious people and I see religion creep up in my heart and I see people that I would much rather judge and um, and uh, and and, and treat poorly and say, no way would I associate with them. I, I, I don't realize the hypocrisy in my heart, but I think, you know what? Religion says I've cleaned myself up. I'm okay. Jesus would definitely want to come and eat with me. He wouldn't want to go and eat with that person, but he surely would want to come and dine with me. That's what's going on in these hearts. They envy Zacchaeus. They've done everything they need to do. Why wouldn't Jesus come and eat with them? This guy hasn't done anything to earn it. He hasn't cleaned himself up. Why would they go and, and why would Jesus go and eat with him? Should come and dine with me, but not that guy. You know that this is the good news, right? Is that you don't move toward God. You don't clean yourself up. You don't start giving more money. You don't start doing more righteous deeds. Uh, and earn your way in. There's no entry fee that God makes you pay to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do you know that, friends? There is no entry fee that you have to pay to enter into the kingdom of heaven. All you bring is your faith. All you bring is your faith. The gospel is this, that Jesus moves towards you, a sinner, and he offers his friendship to you. He bears not just the disdain of the crowd, but he bears the wrath of his Father on himself so that he would as he associates with you and takes your sin upon himself. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You don't clean yourself up. Jesus cleans you up. You don't pay an entry fee. Jesus paid your entry fee. And it's enough. And because of that, God makes peace. And that's what Jesus does. A holy man who takes the disdain of the crowd so that he could become friends with a guy who no one else would be friends with. Zacchaeus is radically uh, changed now. You see this. This is the gospel. If we are stuck in our religious rut, um, we have judgment toward other people, we want everybody to earn their place in our lives, in our family, we want the person who's asking for money to earn the money we give them, if we have that going going on in our hearts, we don't get the gospel in that moment. Zacchaeus radically responds to this offer of the gospel that Jesus makes toward him. So let's look at this response that he he makes. He's a a radically transformed person because of this encounter that he makes with Jesus. 
You see, whatever grace touches, whatever Jesus truly touches and offers his gospel to, his grace to, if somebody truly embraces that, it it will transform it. Whoever he touches, whoever Jesus moves toward by grace and touches, it will always transform. Sinclair Ferguson says that when we behold the glory of Christ in the gospel, it reorders the loves of our hearts so that we delight in Jesus supremely. All the other things that have ruled our lives lose their enslaving power over us. Why was this rich man able to enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus moved toward him and he responded by saying, this stuff isn't the stuff that matters anymore. Jesus, you're the only thing that matters. You're the only thing that matters because you've offered me friendship. Several months ago, I was watching, a, I watched a video that was circling, circulating around the internet. It was this social experiment uh, conducted by these guys who uh, uh, wanted to prove a point. It's not a perfect video, but I think it actually highlights something that's going on in Zacchaeus in this moment. So these guys go and they, they, uh, they have a camera and they're secretly recording these interactions between uh, uh, one guy who's going, who's who staged as they go in uh, and they go to talk to somebody in a restaurant. Person's eating their food. Person who's, who's on camera who goes to them. Ask the person for food. Imagine sitting in a restaurant and somebody comes to you as you're eating your food and they come and ask you for food. Say, get the heck away from me, you're crazy. No, this is my food, I'm eating it. Um, Well, the people in the restaurant, everybody that had paid for their food, what do you think they did? Said, no, you can't have my food. No way. You know why they said that? And they even, some people even made remarks toward them, spiteful remarks saying, buy your own food. Go get your own food. I bought this food. I earned it. I earned it. They go on later. After they prove that point. They go on later and they talk to, uh, they give a pizza to a homeless guy who's sitting on the side, this concrete slab on the side of a building. They go and they take this box of pizza to him and they hand it to him. And they don't, they don't put any parameters around it. They just give him pizza. He opens a box. He begins to eat and they send a guy over to him. One of their, one of the guys in the video, they send him over and they ask the homeless guy for food. He says, may I have a slice of your pizza? What do you think the homeless guy did? Give him pizza. He opens a box, offers it to the guy, and then they sit down and they have pizza together. I thought about this as I was, as I was preparing this sermon. I thought, if the video is not perfect, and of course it could be staged, but I think they're proving a great point. Why would the people who had bought their food not give anything away? Why? Because they earned it, Right? Why wouldn't they give it away? Because they earned it. They deserve it. But why would the person who didn't purchase the food but was giving it as a gift be willing to share? Because he didn't earn it. Because it was a gift. Because it was a gift. The homeless man, he didn't do anything to deserve the gift and he knew it. I believe that fact made him more willing to share. You see that? If we get grace... We understand that everything we have is a gift, especially the grace we have in Jesus. We didn't earn it. You didn't earn God's favor. Jesus earned it for you, and he came, and he's giving it to you like they gave this pizza to this homeless man. He's giving it to you. And if you truly get that, if you truly get that, then you should be floored by a story like this. Zacchaeus is floored by this because he's encountered grace. Tim Keller says that the degree, I'm uh, paraphrasing him, he says the degree that you're willing to be, uh, to, to live a radically generous, a gracious life toward others, toward your things, all of that um, is directly related to the measure in which you've experienced the grace of God in the gospel. If you've, under, if you've gotten grace, 
the degree to which you experience that and it sinks down deep into your hearts is it, uh, will, will ref, be reflected in the way that you treat other people. Will be reflected in the way that you treat your things. Will be reflected in the way that you treat everything. In verse 8, it says, that Zacchaeus says, if I've defrauded anyone, I will give away uh, uh, four times, fourfold what I've stolen, what I've taken, and I'm going to give away half of what I've, what, uh, half of my goods. Jesus tells the rich young ruler that in order to, uh, to enter the kingdom of God, he needed to give everything away and follow Jesus. Jesus comes to him first and says, I want you to, to be with me and dine with me and fellowship with me. Zacchaeus in response says, I'll give everything away. Zacchaeus says, I will give everything away. He says, half of my goods, and if I've stolen anything from anyone, I don't know if he's just saving face a little bit, but, she, but Zacchaeus knows he's taken more than he should have. But he says, I will give back. Essentially, Zacchaeus is saying, I'm going to become poor now. I'm giving everything away so that uh, because of what you've done for me, Jesus. He just stands up and declares it. I love this, is that um, Jesus doesn't tell him, give all your stuff away. He doesn't say, give all your stuff away, and this is how you enter the kingdom of heaven. Heaven reaches him. And Zacchaeus, in response, stands up and he just declares it. Most excited man-child in the history of the world says, I am, uh, this stuff that I've accumulated is not God to me anymore. Jesus, thank you. And in response, I'm going to give away all of it. What's beautiful about this story is that Jesus doesn't make Zacchaeus give it all away. He didn't even mention that to Zacchaeus. He didn't make him pledge to right the wrongs of his life. He didn't tell him, you need, to, you need to fix yourself. You need to do all this stuff. Zacchaeus pledges in response without coercion because Jesus said, move toward him. <clears throat> the one who comes to understand that grace of God and his union with Jesus will always respond this way. Will be transformed into a generous, generous person. So this is the beauty of the gospel, guys, is that, uh, friends, is that this isn't, uh, the beauty of the gospel isn't like you're not transformed because I come and tell you that you need to be more generous people. That you need to give more stuff away. And that's where generosity is found. You know where generosity is found is in experiencing the generosity that God, how generous God has been with you. The degree, the degree that you experience this free grace of God, his generosity toward you and Jesus, that will make you more generous. So that's the question is, uh, an application is, are you growing more generous or do you hold on to your stuff? Are you growing more generous? Are you considering your own comforts or the comforts of those that are around you? Are you giving of your time, your energy, your money, uh, your service? Are you keeping more for yourself so that you can increase your own wealth and your own possessions? These are good diagnostic questions. Are you sharing your time or are you, is your time off for yourself? They're good diagnostic questions, but if we're honest, we'll always... We'll know that, that, uh, that we don't always respond the way that we should, right? That we don't respond the way that we should. The beauty of the gospel is that God has saved us and brought us into fellowship with himself by grace so that he might transform us. I love verses 9 and 10 because Jesus says, Salvation has come to this house. He's the son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and to save what's lost. To finish up. The Abrahamic covenant is, is interesting that Jesus is noting here because if you remember in the Old Testament, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, he tells him the purpose for the covenant, right? The purpose of the covenant was that, that he would bless Abraham. Why? So that he would be a blessing to the nations uh, and that, that he might receive blessings from the nation, that he might bless the nations. 
the covenant that God makes with Abraham was not simply for Abraham. The promise that God gives us in the gospel, the grace that he gives us in the gospel is not simply for you. He transforms you so that you might live a transformed life. A life that's filled with radical moments, radical responses to this love, this grace that God gives us in the gospel. This is why God does what he does. This is the covenant that he draws us into. And church, if we're rightly responding to the grace of God in the gospel, then there's no other, no two ways about it. We should be becoming more generous people. If we're honest, we're not that, right? We don't, we're not perfectly generous. We're not perfectly gracious. You know, the beauty of the gospel too is that, that Abraham was a blessing to the nations because he received Jesus's, uh, because he received God's blessing. In Jesus, we have a true and we have a better Abraham. Not only uh, does he secure the blessings for us. We receive all blessings in him and he extends that out. He's the source of all blessings. He secured it for us. You know, what's awesome is that Zacchaeus couldn't give away enough to pay back what he had done. He couldn't pay enough to get back into the, uh, into God's good graces. He couldn't, he couldn't establish himself. You know, what's awesome is that Jesus doesn't tell him to give everything away because Jesus is a better Zacchaeus for us. Jesus is a better Zacchaeus, who's not only just giving away of his wealth. You know what's awesome is that Jesus knew uh, Zacchaeus, he would be the one that he would need to be, give away everything, and he would. You know, Jesus didn't give away half of his wealth or didn't pay back what he had stolen or defrauded from other people. He gives away the wealth of heaven as he leaves it behind so that he might serve a humanity that was fixated upon its, himself, on itself. He didn't give away half of his time. He gave away every single moment of his time to build a kingdom, this kingdom of heaven. At the end of his life, he didn't give away half of his life. He didn't give away half of it. He surrendered himself to death, even death on a cross. He surrendered his whole life. And that's the most generous thing anyone could ever do. If church, if you are, friends, if you're a believer, that this is the means for becoming generous is to look at Jesus and to lean on him. How can we not become generous when we look at the one who's been most generous with us? He gave up everything so that he might reconcile us to the father. If you're a believer, he's done that for you. And the reason why he does it to conclude, he says, uh, is because he freely transforms you because he moves toward you to transform you so that you can lead a more transformed life. Lives that are filled with moments of radical responses because of the way in which Jesus has, uh, has given his free gift of grace to you. This is the gospel. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that even while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. Even while we were still fixated on ourself, maybe curious about who you were, Jesus, You moved toward us and made us a legitimate offer of friendship, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because you're gracious. We thank you. Jesus, you were gracious enough for us. And I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to lean more into that, uh, into you, Jesus, that we might become more generous, more gracious people. Lord, not those who hold grudges, not those who hold things against someone else, not those who hold on to our stuff as if if it's the thing that's going to give us security that we're looking for. I pray that that you would make us more open-handed, that we might be open-handed, not just with our money, but with our time, with our lives, with our energy, um, with everything we have. 
I pray, Jesus, that you would do that for us. Lord, help us. Lord, meet us. And uh, Lord, make us, make us more generous by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.